Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. As we begin, I'd invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Lord, may the words in my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the best of our knowledge, it was, uh, it was about 18 years after the resurrection that the Apostle Paul and his companions arrive in the city of Thessalonica. And for someone who will go on to write uh, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, you never expect uh, that just a couple of months later you'd be writing to a group of Christians in this city, I was afraid. I was afraid that our labor among you in the Lord was in vain. You see, uh, on this Easter morning, we are probably uh, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because uh, Paul and his companions have just arrived in the city. And what you need to know about the city of Thessalonica is that the city of Thessalonica is a really impressive city. It's a really impressive city uh, today, the second largest city in Greece, home to more than a million people, and located about 300 miles or so north of Athens on the Aegean Sea. And for Paul and his companions, the city of Thessalonica is the next stop on their journey. And if you know Paul, then you know that it's his custom uh, to go and find the local synagogue, the, the place where Jews gather, and to tell them about the Messiah, that his name is Jesus, uh, what he's done for them, and, and what he's done for people like you and me. And while it doesn't always happen this way, the people in Thessalonica, they receive his message. A small church forms, and they begin to believe in Jesus. And it almost sounds like a fairy tale. Uh, but there's this saying uh, that there's a twist in every story, and, and this story is no exception. You see, three weeks, 21 days, less than a month after Paul and his companions arrive in the city, another group of people begins to form. And they've made it their mission to stop Paul and his companions. And while the book of Acts doesn't tell us uh, that they're holding clubs and pitchforks, that's certainly the impression you get when it says that a mob forms and they start a riot. And the good news, uh, if you can call it that, is that Paul and his companions escape the city. They make their way out in the dead of night. But the bad news there is bad news in this story, is that there is a group of Christians, a group of three-week-old Christians in Thessalonica with no one to lead them, no one to guide them, no one to care for them, and there is a mob of people out to get anyone who believes in the name of Jesus. And so you can understand uh, why Paul writes them a letter several months later. When we were separated, he says, we made every effort to come and see you because, because we'd only spent three weeks together. I mean, can you, can you imagine if uh, confirmation at Messiah only lasted three weeks? Can you imagine if our staff 
our leaders, our elders, had to run this church with only three weeks of experience? Can you imagine if you had to fend off the attacks of those who would challenge your faith only three weeks after you heard about Jesus? Can you imagine? So Paul and his companions, they've made every effort to go and see the Thessalonians, but we learn that Satan has blocked their way. And we, we don't know all of the details, but what we do know is this. We know that it leads Paul to a really dark place. The kind of place that you go, not because of the things that you know, but the kind of place that you go because of the very real fears and anxieties that exist in hearts like mine and yours. I'm convinced that uh, this is where Paul's story intersects with our story. I'm also convinced that this is where the Easter story intersects with our story because this is the place where Mary and Martha and those other women find themselves on Easter morning. Jesus is dead they hung him on a cross. They, they pierced him in the side. They placed him in a tomb. Jesus is dead. And they know that Jesus performed miracles. I mean, they know that Jesus raised people from the dead. They, they know that he is different, but this, this is not the kind of place that you go because of the kind of things that you know. This is the kind of place that you go because of the very real fears and anxieties that exist in hearts like mine and yours. And, and you know, when we look at our lives, we think about the last year, I'd imagine that many of us know just how true that is. And so it's from this dark place that Paul writes the following words to the Thessalonians. I was afraid. I was afraid, he says, that our labors among you in the Lord were in vain. Now, one of the hardest parts in moving, at least for me, and uh, one of the hardest parts in, in any transition is leaving things behind. And I... Uh, I was reminded of this reality on Thursday night. You see, Andrea and I had just gotten home from church. I had just put our son, Grant, down to bed. And then I do that thing that you're probably not supposed to do at 8.30 on a Thursday night. Uh, I look down at my phone. Uh, I look down at my phone, and I see a text message from a, a woman I knew out in Maryland where we lived uh, before we moved to St. Louis. Hi, Pastor Steve. It reads... I don't know how much you're in touch with Tyrone these days, uh, but please reach out to him. His younger brother just passed away. Now, Tyrone and I, uh, we, we have a, a special relationship. Uh, he's about 10 years younger than me, and I, I met him back when he was in high school, uh, six or seven years uh, ago. And, uh, and I was writing a sermon at Chick-fil-A, and, and he was the guy who was serving food behind the counter. And and during my time in Maryland, uh, I got to know him pretty well. I mean, Andrew and I would, uh, would have him over for dinner, and I'd always hoped that he would connect in my former congregation, but it, but it never really clicked for him. 
And it was, uh, it was one of the reasons it was really hard to leave Maryland. So Thursday night, I'm, I'm staring at my phone, and, and moments later, I, I hear his voice. Uh, he picks up the phone, and it's like a moment hasn't even passed. We talk for a little while. And it's, it's really good to catch up. But then he says, Steve, I'm trying to be strong for my family, but I just don't know what to do. You know, it's, uh, it's hard, but it's, it's also one of these moments uh, that you are, are built for when you become a, a pastor. Uh, one of those moments where you think, you know, this, this is where the resurrection really matters. I mean, this is awful. There's, there's no way around it. But the death and resurrection of Jesus, what we celebrate today, it means that his brother's passing isn't the end of his story. I mean, I mean, his brother one day, just like Jesus, will rise from the dead, and, and then Tyrone and his brother and, and everyone else who trusts in Jesus will live forever with him. And you know, we talk for an hour, and, and our conversation is coming to a close, and, and I just want to do something more. I mean, I want to get on a plane and, and go give him a big hug. I, I want to stand at his brother's funeral. I want to preach at his brother's funeral. I want to go back five years and make sure that it clicks for him in my former congregation. But instead, I'm walking circles on the track at Roosevelt High School. And that's when these two passages of Scripture pass through my mind. First Thessalonians, I was afraid, Paul writes, that our labors among you in the Lord were in vain. And First Corinthians, your labors in the Lord are not in vain. Maybe it's uh, not the impact of leaving uh, that stirs up the fears and anxieties in hearts like yours. I mean, maybe, maybe it's your health. Or maybe it's the health of a friend or, or a family member. Because, because you've been careful, you've, you've taken care of your body, but it didn't keep the cancer away. It didn't keep the bad back away. It didn't keep the health condition away. Or, or maybe it's your job. Maybe it's putting food on the table. Maybe, maybe it's that class in school. And, and you've worked hard. I mean, there's no question about it. But, but so what? What difference has it made? Maybe it's the pandemic. Everything you've done or, or everything you haven't done this past year. And, and it hasn't been easy, but then you think about the impact that it's had on your life, on your church, on your kids and their education, on other kids and their education, on, on politics, on civil discourse, on our shared life together, on any number of things. And it makes you wonder, was, was it really worth it? Was what we did really worth it? Was what we didn't do really worth it? And then what do you do when that stuff is motivated by your faith? And the answer to that question brings us back to those two passages of Scripture. First, Thessalonians. I, I was afraid, Paul writes, I was afraid that our labors among you were in vain. And First Corinthians, your labors in the Lord are not in vain. It brings us back to those two passages of Scripture and the power that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has in lives like mine and yours. You see, the lie that is so 
easy for us to believe is that there is something that we can do to secure our lives and our labor apart from the Lord. I mean, that's, that's the lie that we're tempted to believe, that there is something that we can do to secure our lives and our labor, but, but there's nothing that we can do. Nothing. I mean, that's what the last year teaches me. And it's, it's hard, but at least for me, it feels really, really good to be honest. There is nothing that we can do to secure our lives and our labor. Only God can do that. And he does it through a cross and through an empty tomb, through the kind of sacrifice that only God could make, and through the kind of victory that he makes ours on Easter morning. Christ is risen. You see, that's what brings Paul from the dark place of 1 Thessalonians, I was afraid that our labors were in vain, to the confidence of 1 Corinthians, your labors in the Lord are not in vain because Christ, Christ has secured them. He secures them through his death on a cross. He secures them through his sacrifice for your sin. And he secures them through the resurrection at an empty tomb that says that there is nothing in this world, and I mean nothing, that can overcome the kind of promises that I have made to people like you. Now, the great American scholar and uh, Christian historian, uh, Yaroslav Pelikan, a, a graduate of Concordia Seminary, uh, once reflected on the Apostle Paul. Now, the words that come to us from 1 Corinthians and remind us that our life and our labor are secured in the Lord. Words that remind us uh, that this is the power of the resurrection. You see, he once wrote, uh, if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. But if Christ is risen, he writes, nothing else matters. I'll say it again. If Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. But if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. Let me explain what he meant. He meant that if Christ is not risen, then one day we're going to die. And when we do, everything that we've done between now and then won't really matter. But if Christ is risen, our lives and our labor are secure in the Lord, then all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of the hurt, all of the pain, all the brokenness, all the sin, all of it, all of it won't really matter. You see, that's what enables people like you and me to follow him in lives like ours. That's what enables us to show love and compassion. That's what enables us to set ourselves aside. That's what enables us to forgive when forgiving is hard. Because Christ, Christ is risen. Your labors in the Lord are not in vain. And that changes everything for the hope of our world and for people like you and me 
and every single Christian there ever was and every single Christian there ever will be forever and ever in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.